Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 281. A pet peeve of mine when I listen to podcasts personally is when the introduction for the podcast just goes on and on and on for minutes, and I find myself often skipping ahead. And sometimes it's like seven, eight minutes into a show before the show starts. And I get it. Most podcasts have advertisers and commitments, and fortunately we don't, so I don't have to do that stuff. But I will say I have neglected to fill you guys in and to give you guys some opportunities as listeners to kind of participate. One thing we used to do is pick reviews or emails that were sent to us and give you guys uh, just a thank you. So we would send you some free Exo Mountain Gear or Hunt Backcountry podcast shirts and hats and stuff like that. And I want to get back to that a little bit, but what we're going to do is in the month of May, and I know we're not quite there yet as this episode is released, but through the month of May, if you guys leave us a review in iTunes, that would be one option, or share the podcast on social media and tag us, for example, on Instagram, you could post like a story or a post and tag at Hunt Backcountry, or email us directly via podcast at exomountaingear.com. And that email could be feedback, it could be a guest suggestion, a topic suggestion, or a question that you've been wondering about. So any of those things, leave a review, share on social and tag us, or send us an email directly. If you do any of those things in the month of May, you'll be entered to win not a shirt, not a hat, but a $250 gift card to Exomount Gear. So again, that's just a way to, number one, say thank you. Uh, number two, to apologize for us not doing the smaller giveaways here recently. And number three, to kind of help the show grow. As I said before, we don't have advertisers or sponsors or anything like that. We truly do this podcast because we enjoy it. We think it is helpful. It obviously does help us with X Amount Gear get the name out a bit. But as you know, if you've been listening for any length of time, we are much more about our guests and the content than we are ourselves. And hopefully you guys see that and find value in the show. And if you find value in the show, we appreciate your support. All right. Today, our guest is David. He is originally from the South for a while, was in the Dakotas, and here recently has been in Alaska. David is one of these everyday guys who's a very hardworking hunter. He hunts and goes outdoors and trains and shoots and does the whole thing, lives the whole lifestyle year round. And we talk with him about his roots, turkey hunting in the South, how that translated to hunting mule deer in the Dakotas, and more recently his adventures in Alaska, including as you'll hear about an upcoming sheep hunt that he has for this fall. So we'll probably have to get him back on the show in the future to talk about that hunt. But there's so much in here and we love talking to the big names and the popular folks that cruise around and do podcasts, but just as much, we love connecting with everyday guys who are hardworking hunters, and David is one of those guys. You'll also hear him mention in this conversation his buddy Nick, who helped him uh, get hunting into big game, and Nick is actually someone we'll speak with next week, so it's kind of a back-to-back. These guys who have some shared experiences, but also have different experiences, and we'll get to talk with them both on the podcast. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As I mentioned, we value and appreciate your support. Don't forget the ways you can enter into the giveaway 
or to leave us a review. And the best way to do that is in the iTunes or the Apple podcast app to share this on social and tag us, especially on Instagram at hunt Backcountry, or to send us your email with questions, comments, suggestions to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon on that. But for now, here's this conversation with David. Well, David, to uh, kick things off, man, I want to start maybe in a weird place, like uh, not weird chronologically necessarily from you growing up, but we were chatting the other day and you told me about your dad and essentially it sounds like he is a legendary turkey hunter. So I want to hear a little bit about that. Uh, Yeah. So growing up in the South, uh, South Carolina to be exact, um, you know, the NWTF headquarters is in South Carolina. So turkey hunting, uh, the Eastern subspecies uh, is a big deal so you know i think dad's uh, right around two maybe a little over 200 lifetime birds and you know he was born in the 60s and you know we have a pretty generous season um as far as number of birds killed but yeah that man has lost as many jobs as as he's uh he he's gotten over turkeys you know he's, he tells him hey oh yeah he, and he works <laughs> for the forest service now and he does a good job but and he does a lot of planting and stuff on the, on the, on the national forest that we grew up on, but, um, and he grew up on obviously, but yeah. Um, you know, he's like, Hey, I need these dates. Uh, this is what's going to happen. And you know, if you can't help me out, then I probably won't be working here. So yeah, it was, it was funny for the longest time I had, you know, everybody measures their, their, their trophies in some form or fashion and, and, you know, turkeys are no different, you know, weight, beard length, spur and all that jazz. So yeah. For, for the longest time I had him beat, even though he had me beat on numbers by, by, you know, <laughs> by, you know, several a, ple- a, a plethora, right. I had the longest beard for the longest time. I shot a big old swamp bird at, and measured just over 11 and a quarter. Oh, wow. And then I was in, I was in the military for a few years and he called me up one spring. He's like, Hey, I need you to build me a shadow box. And I'm like, for what? He's like, well, I just, I just hammered a 12 and a half inch bird. Um, just, a just a giant of a Tom, um, so yeah, he's, he's killed some big ones, some, uh, all over, you know, I've been trying to get him a Miriam out there in South Dakota. just haven't linked up yet. He's, he's called for some guys in Montana and, um, different crews he's met over the years with the forest service and stuff. He's, he just, he likes calling more than anything. It's, it's just, you know, it's almost like, you know, the guy, you guys in the West calling elk, you know, I know it's yeah. a whole different, different ball game, but when you get a bird fired up in the swamp, uh, it's a, it's it's interesting because the birds on the plains of the of the west is far different than the birds in the swamps of the south. Um, especially just the aggressiveness. You don't know where they're at until they're sitting in your lap, and mm-hmm. every move counts. You know, so yeah, he's a uh, he's uh, he's at it. He's adamant about it. We're we're big turkey guys, and uh, luckily, you know, I've I've found that same same passion, just a little different tactics in South Dakota before I got up here to Alaska, but. Yep. Yeah. Turkeys, turkeys were a big thing. I mean, I, I got my first bird. I think I was nine single barrel, 16 gauge. Um, yep. That was, you know, we don't do a whole lot of decoying, but calling, you know, you, you can use a lot of cover down in the swamps and stuff like that. So, yeah. You is know, that, fields, um, is that mostly just a spring season there? There's some of those States in the Southeast yep. also have a fall. I can't speak on a lot of other States, but I know in South Carolina, it's not a fall. It's, it's a spring thing. So spring only. Yeah. Spring only. So, uh, it should be March 15th to May the 1st, maybe. Uh, it's been, I haven't been home in such a long time, but uh, it, they should be kicking off right now. It should be hammering time because, I mean, you know, it's 80 degrees and this, the spring's kicking off back home pretty good. 
Yeah. So you mentioned uh, not being home. Where are you at now? Uh, up in Alaska, in interior Alaska, kind of kind of around Denali National Park is where I where I'm working right now. Uh, I'm guessing it's not 80 degrees. N- no, it's actually it is warm enough for it to snow today. I know that seems contradicting, but you know it gets so cold up here that it, it won't snow. Like there's just not enough precipitation to freeze and, and hit the ground. So it's in the teens, I think today. So it's actually a warm day in my my opinion. <laughs> From from what we've been, wow! I uh, you know I've seen you get out in all of those conditions. You know, seeing photos of you out snowshoeing, winter camping, doing all that stuff. As someone growing up in the southeast, that's obviously not something you had experience with. And then uh, we'll probably get into some of your story later. Spent some time in the Dakotas, uh, which can obviously get cold, but nothing quite like Denali type cold. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, like, what, any any takeaways, like things that stand out from just that exposure and you getting used to it? Because it's not like, you know, just seeing you, it's not like you're avoiding bad weather. Like you're just getting out no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the government's, you know, it's taken a lot of, out of me, and but it's given me a, just as much good things as it has bad over the over decade of service. So it's put me up here, and I'm only here for a short amount of time. So I'm kind of one of those guys that you know you. You have been given something, and regardless of what chaos is as outside, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, you got to take advantage of it. And plus, I've, I've been wanting to come here for such a long time, you know, because growing up, we didn't have Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops where I'm from. So, you know, you'd get the magazines or you'd have the channels on TV. So you'd see about these great big things. And I just didn't know how it was going to work out or if it was ever in the cards for me. And then lo and behold, um, you know, I get orders up here and you know, you start, you start accumulating the right gear over the years and things that keep you in the, in the mountains longer, in the woods longer, comfortable. Um, and then you learn, you learn how to adapt and overcome. And, you know, yeah, I've been out and it's been negative 20 and negative you know, 25 and yeah, it sucks. It's not fun, but it's doable with the right, the right gear and the right mindset. I think will carry you a long way. That's what really mm-hmm. gets you. Yeah. So I think I've seen you've done some overnight stuff, right? Some winter camping with that. Yep. We, I did yeah. a few. I haven't, I mean, uh, I, I run a, I run a seek outside summer on with one of their stoves. Um, mm-hmm. just pretty good. I got, you know, the right, I got a, uh, I run a Caparo slick bag, zero degree with, with the liner and a good thermarest, um, insulated sleeping pad, you know, like our value of like six. So it, 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 it works, you know, you make sure you do all your proper steps before you, you hop in your bag, you know, um, and, and you can get through the night. Uh, I haven't been out there really crazy cold, but I've been out there in single digits to just touching below here recently. So just to kind of, you know, more or less test the gear, test if I have it, just to see where the failures are um, and then come back and, and re- revisit the wheel and hit the drawing board again, you know. Mm-hmm. I've done different things, you know, whether it's like a really long day out in the real cold or a multi-day trip, I've done things in terms of water, both uh, procurement, storage, preparation, treatment, all the above. But it's like something I'm just never super happy with. How I'm just kind of curious, like a random topic, but how have you managed uh, water, drinking water specifically, and obviously cooking water, but on a long day or a multi-day trip, you know, keeping it from freezing, what's your treatment choice? I guess up there, you don't um, even have to deal with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I run, um, the Sawyer, um, big bag squeeze. I like those, um, versus like a pump, like a Catadine or like MSR pump. You know, a lot of guys have their, and gals have their aspects of what, how they want to secure water. And, you know, I have 
um, iodine tablets and things of that, you know, cause the old adage, you know, one is none and, and two is one as far as water, fire and, and shelter, you know, that kind of thing. But I, uh, um, I try to try to keep it, you know, if I'm, I carry an algae is kind of what I keep, you know, on my hip and I'm trying to constantly keep it moving. So it's not freezing or I'll put it in my, um, I run that at Kafaru Parka. So it has a kangaroo pouch. So I'll either run, you know, a pair of hot hands in there just to keep it warm. And then I'll, I'll keep it in there just to keep it, um, from freezing stuff like that. And, uh, it, it's, it's difficult, especially with the filter, you know, that kind of, that, water filtration system, you know, from freezing up. So you, you know, you either keep it in your bag at night. That's a good, a good way, um, especially in a good bag. Uh, that's what I it's worked so far, at least to keep, you know, at least a liter of water on you to make something, you know, like I always try to go to bed with something warm in my belly, whether it be some cider, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's my big thing. I like, I have like a little packet of instant cider. So you know, try to fill up as much as I can on water in the night. And then whatever I gather right before I go to bed, I'll, I'll put it in an algae and throw it in the foot of my, um, either I'll boil it kind of to get it warm and, and put it in the bed of my, or the foot box of the bag. And one keeps my feet warm because I do have issues with my hands and feet uh, getting cold. So I'll keep it in the bag and I'll keep it in there. Um, just as, as a precaution, I haven't had anything really crazy freeze up. Um, I did a, just a day hike um, when it was probably negative 10 or negative 15, but, and not really taken into consideration. And I, I, my bottom would be freezing up like just on my hip within, yeah. you know, two or three hours out in the element. So it's, it's one of those things if you keep flipping it and moving it and, and having that, you know, non-stagnant water as best you can putting it in your pouch um, that helps. Um, it's just, it's a constant struggle to find out what works. And I, I can't speak on, you know, I haven't done this for a while. Like it gets really cold in the Dakotas. I would say the wind is the number one factor down there on regardless of what season it is. So wind is wind, wind will cut right through it and it sucks. Like it makes it even more miserable than it already is. So, but up here, yeah. Um, just trying to keep that water moving and put it in, you know, keep it in your bag with you at night. And that's, that seemed to have worked. And then, um, yeah, if, I try to, if, you know, last couple of times there's actually been some flowing water, not much, but enough, you know, or I run a um, MSR reactor now, so I can, I can mm -hmm. boil some snow. I can melt some snow with that. You know, not a lot of, um, canister stoves will do that. That, that bad boy will, it does yeah. a pretty good job of, of, of melting down. And we have a, 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 that's a pile of snow up here. So it's the, you know, it takes a lot of snow to, to get 32 ounces of liquid and an algae. But, you know, once you're sitting there and you don't have anything, everything's froze up that's that's all you got so <laughs> gotta do, what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah you gotta do what you gotta do yeah oh cool yeah it sounds like similar experience of just it it takes work like you just have to pay attention to it and as you said you know keep it moving and all those types of things it's just yeah critical that becomes when those conditions are like that yeah cool so we're we're bouncing around we're gonna come back to alaska um but I want to talk more about, so grew up turkey hunting, grew up in the Southeast. You've mentioned the Dakotas. Talk about your transition into big game hunting. Uh, and I know part of that happened uh, with meeting Nick and spending time in the Dakotas. Um, so just talk a little bit about that. Maybe what was your first big game animal? And at the same time, if there's anything that stands out from your childhood and how that helped you, right? So I know hunting turkeys in the swamps and hunting mule deer in the Dakotas is vastly different, but 
was there anything that was you know relatable or that you took into it kind of that transition for you yeah um so just growing up i grew up a very very blue collar area very blue collar family so you know hunting was just was you know a lot of people say way of life but it really was I mean, we're 60 miles from the nearest grocery store 10 15 miles from the nearest gas station so it was a big deal you know during the seasons whether it be turkey or fishing on the coast because i mean i grew up nine miles from the coast so there was always something in the freezer that came from the land or came from the water and we took that to heart so you know, I shot, I shot my first buck, you know, we, cause in the South we hunt, we, you know, traditionally we hunt with dogs. Like we, same, same kind of concept you do in the Midwest, but you do a, like a push on a block of woods with, with, with people mm-hmm. You use dogs. And a lot of people have their, their reasoning and their aspects of what, if it's, you know, ethical or not, but it's just kind of a traditional thing. And you know, that's how I grew up hunting. That was the first. And then just having the ethics and the morals instilled in me early on, as far as, you know, loving everything that's in the woods and regardless, yeah, it is, you're taking the life of something, but you know, a lot of people, you know, I've heard it before. It's not like my saying, but I believe you have to suffer in order to, you know, you should have to suffer of some sort, um, physically, mentally, or emotionally, when you take, take the life of something, it's not easy, you know, and then you have to, in my opinion, uh, cherish every bit of that, whether, you know, sharing it with friends, sharing it with yourself, you know, whatever you have to do, but that's just a big part. Um, and that, that transition on, I shot a good buck when I was, I think 11 or 12 on a, on a youth draw hunt with my dad was very fortunate with him. Um, then a few years, you know, those around the house and some, some spikes and stuff like that. Um, just always having that, that baseline of what I grew up with and, and, uh, that kind of transition after I joined, I joined 18, Got stationed up North Carolina, didn't do a whole lot up there just because it wasn't, I wasn't used to having, you know, not having public land around because I grew up right in the middle of the national forest back home. So that was always at my back door. So I could just go and, you know, we had a little bit of land on the farm I grew up with. So it was different. I didn't like it. So I would go home and hunt and fish and do things like that. That was how I kept that motor running for the first, Mm -hmm. you know, seven, seven or eight years. And then you know, I got, I got a chance to put in for a different assignment and I'd heard some great things about South Dakota, kind of a hidden gem. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to give away too much of its, of its secrets because <laughs> it's it terrible, is, right? Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, there's cactus, there's mosquitoes. You just don't like it. People are mean. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I get, I got, uh, an assignment, uh, out there in 2016, um, got out in 2016, just in the right amount of time where, Turkey season was still was still kicking off, and I just so happened to be um, getting contact with Nick. Um, he was on the same shift as I, and we, uh, you know, at, just like everybody, you know, you just can't hunt and fish with anybody. That's that's not something that's like, you know, we're going to hang out at the bar or, or whatever you call it. It's just not something that um, it's easy to do with just someone. You know, you you feed off one another, and the energy is there. And, uh, somehow we just kind of fell into rhythm. So had a first turkey hunt together that um, uh, was was uh, less than textbook. I'll say that there was. All right, multiple. let's hear it. Let's hear it. So uh, I'm <laughs> uh, Nick will probably tell you his version, but uh, I'll, I'll give you my version. We went out planes. You know, have you seen the pictures? There's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of cover. So I mean, we're talking you know sagebrush and. Um, very little, just, just very sparse. So we go out there last day of the season. Um, and 
we found a lone lone bird, lone gobbler on this ridge, kind of kind of going away from us. And we hustled over there to try to cut him off. He seemed to be by himself. And we set up in a draw to try to pull him back across the draw to where we are. And it's just super hard to pull those Miriams, just turkeys in general, to go down a hill and back up another hill to go check out what you are. That's just they, they don't do that. Well, for whatever reason, this bird wanted to come check us out and we were set up. I mean, perfect spot, had a good little bit of cover and Nick's to my right and I'm right in front of this cedar tree and Nick is, can see more down the draw than I am. So I'm sitting there and all I hear Nick say is kill him. And I'm like, I'm looking in front of me and I see nothing. Right. And I'm like, where in the, where is he talking about? I don't know where he's. And all of a sudden, about that time, you see this big red head come across right in front of me, like seven yards. And I'm like, oh, my God, there he is. And I I can run a shotgun pretty good. I feel pretty confident. But I'm running, you know, three and a half with a turkey choke in it, especially out there in the prairie. So I want to be able to reach out and touch something 50, 60 yards if need be. Well, that pattern at seven yards is about as big as a tic-tac box, right? Yeah. Well, missed him. Clean miss. And so... He's running down the hill and I, I jump up, run it, run another shell, shoot him again. And I fold him and I'm like, sweet. And I look at Nick and we're like, man, this is, it turned out pretty good. It was got crazy there for a second. And then all of a sudden you hear his wings getting up and I look down the hill and he's like getting ready to take flight. So I, I, uh, he's down the hill running away from me. So I chase after this bird down this cedar draw running through the thickets. Uh, try to get one more shell into him. And I finally got another shell on him and, uh, all I had was three shells. So at this point, you know, Nick can't see any of this. All he sees, all he knows is the, one of the very first times that he's hung out with his redneck from the South. <laughs> I'm chasing, I'm chasing this more or less wounded, more wounded bird, which nobody ever wants wounded game. We want him to be quick and clean. Right. And it's just like, it's killing me because I come from a Turkey background yeah. and I'm running through the cedars, chasing this, this gobbler down. And then I get down there. I got one more shell. He comes across the bottom. I let him have it. I roll him up. And then it just, yeah, I finally, finally got him finished off. And there was, yeah, it was just pure chaos for about 45 seconds. And of course, you know, I'm just thinking like, well, this guy's never going to hunt with me in my, in my entire time I'm going to be here, you know? So it was just more or less comical and just like, oh my God, this, this is how it's going to go down for the foreseeable future of me being here. So, <laughs> yeah, that's funny, dude. Yeah, it's it was, yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy times. But that was how that season wrapped up. And then uh, 2016, you know, in, in South Dakota, you know, you, you have to draw for deer tags as far as rifle seasons. But archery, uh, you do have to draw, but they're more or less over the counter, especially for residents. And me being active military, I fall into that resident category. So I knew um, hunting the West in general, learning seemingly every day that the archery was going to have to play a big role. And I shot, I shot a lot when I was a kid and kind of got away from it when I hit those teenage years. And I thought other things were more important, um, which I think a lot of us do. So I uh, picked the bow back up again, kind of, I got it. I was picking it up before I came out there, uh, just getting spun back up and, you know, we got everything dialed in and trying to learn about this whole spot and stock thing. And um, we went out and scouted a few places before the season that year in 2016. And, you know, I, I go out to this area we were at and 
I look, I'm like, how is this possible that there's not a tree in sight? I mean, there's, you know, I, mean, I just didn't know how it was possible. And, you know, we would start glassing and this is before I had a tripod and backpack, you know, like I didn't have anything really, um, just kind of learning from Nick and how to do this, this whole spot and stock game, which seemed, you know, like this is never going to work. I'm like, I, I don't know how this is possible. And we had gotten um, close a few, few times just scouting in general. And I'm like, all right, maybe this is possible. Um, my dad had came out early that year and early, you know, open in morning. We're on this hillside and, and I have probably 15 bucks glassed up different bachelor groups all over this um, piece of public land. And I just couldn't, you know, between me and my dad, we couldn't believe it. You know, you just don't see, you don't see 20 bucks back home in a season, let alone opening morning. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, and all of these bucks, I've been ecstatic to shoot with the bow. You know, there were some mature bucks in there. Obviously, is what you know I want to go after, um, just for the the nature of the beast, and that's what I, I aim for. And uh, yep, that, that you know, a couple stocks didn't pan out. Lost my phone, lost some other gear, just a whole chaotic mess again. All <laughs> learning on that one, and we were actually leaving leaving this little pro- piece of property, and um, there was a buck bedded on the shell cliff that. You know, he had, he had wind in his face. Everything was good. You know, Nick's like, you know, why, why don't you try stocking that buck? And I'm like, all right, sounds good. And, you know, the plan was him and my dad were going to get on the opposite opposing ridge. I get within the range. They would just stand up naturally, kind of make the buck nervous, you know, things like something like that. Well, it didn't get that far, but they were filming. My dad was filming the entire time. And I, I get to the, to the edge of this cliff where this buck is at. And I don't really realize how close I am until I look down and uh, I see the top of his tine sitting there in the, in the grass. And it's, I mean, three feet, if that, and by then it was too late because I, he, he smelled or heard me and looked around and you know how muleys are when they're in their bed and, you know, they, they see you, they don't even take a second, you know, and then, and they're out of there. So it was yeah. at that, at that point, I knew for someone as green behind the ears as me could stock up on a, and it was a decent little buck. I definitely, I would have been happy to, get an arrow in that that year but i knew it was possible i was like all right there's gonna be a lot more failures before there's success which depending on how you look at it it's success every time you go in the field whether it's lessons learned or you know fill in the freezer so that was that was kind of the tipping point where like all right this can be done and i let a i let two more arrows go that year clean misses no no deer were injured that season but i learned a lot um so that that 2016 kind of wrapped up um I don't think Nick shot a buck that year. Uh, no, I don't think he did. And then another turkey season rolled around. We hammered some more birds. 2017, I deployed, so I was gone for that entire fall season. Didn't get back until January of 18. Um, getting spun back up again, you know, hitting sheds, stuff like that. And then 2018 rolled around. Really pretty confident. You know, just learning and reading and watching everything I could. Um, 2018 kicked off and um, we were at this piece of piece of ground we hunt and we had found this buck actually before that um, I shot a my first ever big game if you want to call it, it well, I think I call it big game but it was a white-tailed doe I shot her in the hills um, just spot and stock she was feeding on this hillside and I was able to to, to get out and put a stock on her and shot her at, I missed her at 45. I mean, dead to rights. And she kind of came in curious and, uh, I, I hit hammered her at 19 yards and she ran back towards the truck. And that was, that was the first uh, bloody <laughs> arrow towards of, the truck. 
Yeah. So nice. it was, yeah, it was, I don't know, not, not far. It wasn't anything kind of, you know, crazy hunting, but it was just a cruise to the hills and I had any, or a white tail doe tag. And I was like, Hey, this is meat in the freezer. This, you know, you got to cut your, you got to cut your tag somehow. And I was extremely happy and fortunate to be, uh, on the, the, the successful side of that tag. So yeah. that was, Dude, that was on a Sunday. You mentioned a minute ago, just kind of in passing, and it's obviously been kind of a theme in some of these stories, but like failure before success. Um, yeah. And I just want to like come back to that for a minute to make sure that people caught that because it's so important is, especially in the, you know, the day and age of like you see hunting shows and obviously you have things like social media and there's just a lot of times you're just seeing success, success, success. Yeah. And it's like, man, in all reality, even great hunters, it's, it's not always what is shown and especially for everyday hunters, guys like you and me and guys learning, like just embrace that, embrace the failure, not because that's what you want, but just because it is part of the process. And yeah, like oh, yeah. you can be a, be a beginner and luck out for sure. Like guys go out and, you know, fill an elk tag, the first archery elk hunt or something like that. Like that happens uh, and great for that. But hunt long enough and if you hunt as somewhat of a lifestyle with consistency you're just going to have to learn that lesson to embrace the failure and learn from it right oh yeah i mean uh yeah just like you said with social media and just tv you see all the success and there is you know there's people that put their failures out there and i think it's important to know like hey you know this is called hunting this isn't called killing right like it doesn't you you can go out a thousand times and never be successful or you can go out one time and it you could all the stars can align it's just that's your day and you make the most of it you have defeated that animal in their kingdom and their their time and space and you've you've came out more or less successful and you're going home with you know hopefully a, a whole cooler full of meat and a freezer full of of, of sustenance so yeah, no, I, I, I look at it as, you know, I come back and I reevaluate like, man, why did that happen? Or why did this go that way? It's like, well, I could have did this. I could have went slower. I could have went faster. Um, but I think, you know, th there's going to be 99 more failures for every one success. And, you know, depending on how you look at success, but I think if you come back and you can learn from it, it's a success because that's just something else in the toolbox that will, uh, that will help you grow as, you know, as a hunter, as a person, as a human, however you want to look at it in life. Like that's a huge, huge, you know, hurdle to overcome and, and get past it and learn from it and, you know, try to, try to uh, put those into place for the next time. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry. I just oh, wanted no, to, no. I didn't want to like gloss over that. And it was mentioned in <laughs> passing. It's, it's important for me to remember. It's important for everybody listening to this to remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to fail a lot, especially you know, an archery, I mean, amass all aspects of it. And I'm by no means have I thumped, you know, anywhere near, you know, some of the guys out there and gals, you know, and by no, and I don't claim to, but, uh, there's a lot of failures in those first years and they will be continue to be failures. Um, yeah. before there's a, you know, as far as you want to look at it, but yeah, 2018, it was the first year I shot a buck with the bow that was with Nick. That was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. We found this buck and we named him Tom because, uh, going back to the Turkey, Turkey theme, he had this, uh, Turkey foot in line on his right side, just a very, very narrow buck, but he was as tall as it was narrow. Um, just a really cool buck. I liked him. I like cool character. Uh, I like, 
I like this, the tight, the tight ones, but the high ones and with mass, uh, whatever, get your, get your gear going. But yeah, that was him. We, I made a few stocks on him and uh, it all came together on the, I want to say the six. I don't know. I can tell you it's on my bow right here. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's on your bow. Set. How do you mark that? I, I, every time I notch a tag, I tape it to the riser. A piece so, of the tag itself. Yeah, just like when you notch out the tag itself, like the, yeah. the date and the time. Or the, yeah, I just always, I've just, every successful one on the bow, yeah, it was September 7th was that one. Okay, um, that's, a, that's a cool way to do yeah. it. I've seen people like write dates yeah. down and obviously keep tags when I start on a bow, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's cool. I know a ton yeah. of, going back to turkeys, there's, I feel like I see more of that with turkey hunters than anything else where guys are doing like certain things, right? Like whether it's beards or spurs or whatever, but like, keeping track of that yeah yeah there i mean that's how my dad is i mean we got tons of beards and spurs you know fans um just you know showcase that moment in time and how you know like how good that hunt was so that's that's what i do i just put i put a tag and i put a piece of clear tape on the riser and hopefully one day i'll have so much that i have to get another bow but that's where we're at now (laughs) that's Uh, cool man yeah that was awesome and uh sorry i'm not like uh, trying to skip your story but since it came up what bow do you shoot because i see you shoot a lot archery wise um i shoot uh a bowtech realm x uh, is the one i shoot right now um okay. shot P- shot PSE. i've shot matthews i've shot um elite over the years but i really like the boat like this this bowtech i'm shooting now i think i'm so connected to it because it is the bow that i've i've been successful with the most as far as like filling the freezer Mm-hmm. uh so there is a there is a connection to it i mean you know just like all of us you know we want to try the newest and latest technology and we want to do all this you know i, I like to look at the pses and the primes but right now i'm shooting uh a Botech realm x is what i shoot and it uh it does the job and hopefully it'll do the job this year and spring bear and maybe some stuff this summer so yeah dude i want to yeah. um we're just gonna have to get you back on because there's too many stories to tell. But I yeah, want to yeah, like skip yeah. in time and bounce up to Alaska. Yeah. Um, and guys who've heard about Nick, I'm not sure the sequence of these podcasts coming out, but we're gonna get Nick on the show too. Uh, who you've been talking about and talk more specifically about like mule deer and hunting in South Dakota and how that's different from high country stuff that we often talk about and all that. So yeah. Yeah. Guys are hearing that and they're like, "Oh no, don't you know? Keep yeah. going. There's more of that yeah. to come." Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, I could just keep you on the phone for hours. I want to make sure we hit where you're at now and some recent stories and even some stuff that's coming up. So when was the transition to Alaska for you? And was that something you were putting in for or something you just flat out didn't have a say in and the military was like, guess what, um, you're headed to Alaska? Yeah, that's that's 90% of most people's careers. And luckily, I actually, to be funny about it, I actually was trying to get out to Idaho, right where you guys are at in Boise at Gallon Field. Oh, yeah. So, so I was trying to get out there. There was some stuff in the works, family issues come up, which, and that, that's just the nature of the beast. And, uh, ended up, um, having Alaska on one of my lists as far as an overseas tour. And wouldn't you know it, I had like 25 days left on my contract and great mother air force was like, Hey, you're going to Alaska. You got seven days to accept it. Um, talked it over with, with a few people, Nick, including, um, I was like, you know what? It's, it's for a year. It's, that's how long I'm up here for. Um, which I extended just a little bit, a little longer so I can. Yeah. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that, but yeah. So I got up here last July is when I crossed through the border, July 15th. Um, so I drove up from South Dakota. I, I drove up 
across the Montana. I went across Idaho through Boise, all that stuff. Met a friend in Portland, blah, blah. Drove up through Canada, and that was pretty eerie in itself, especially with, you know, their borders being closed and no one is on the Alcan Highway. You know, for hours, you wouldn't see anybody. So so I guess you got special, call it clearance or whatever, to even yeah. go through the border just because you're military. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our orders trump, trump a lot of things. So, uh, yep, I rolled through. It was still a little bit of a pain just because, you know, Canada being Canada, which that's their thing. It's no big deal. But yet once you cross through, it's, you have X amount of hours, you know, especially if you're going through the Yukon, they only give you like 24 hours to get to the Yukon, but drove up, seen everything you could think of in Canada, stone sheep, um, caribou, black bear, wolf, uh, just, it was amazing amount of, of critters on the drive and got up here in July, um, had to quarantine, do all that jazz. And then finally got, got stationed where I'm at and, you know, then the the uh, caribou season starts to to open um, up on the the forty mile herd is what a lot of you know like Steese Highway, but it's the the forty mile herd is where I shot that caribou and you know it's it's kind of a it's a shoot it's a it's a, a fire shoot of people because it's you know it's up in the White Mountains just north of Fairbanks, so people some people can take their four wheelers in some places you know on the bigger peaks and stuff like that, but I don't I didn't have one of them I didn't I don't use them we, i mean I, I would back home but this is that's a different scenario so i i went in a day before the season um kicked off last august and it was awesome i i got out, out of the truck and um hiked up this bridge you know and there's people here and there you know but first first herd comes through there's like two or three bulls in there i'm like man i'd be stoked to just to have a chance to one of them but it's just funny because caribou don't stop you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're always moving. So, and they're, they're always in a herd. So, I mean, if they stop, you know, something's, something's going to catch them and, and make them dinner. So, yep. Did that, um, for three days, um, learned a lot, uh, just not in the right place. A lot of, still a lot of people kind of moving around. Uh, it's kind of a, kind of a crap shoot. Um, but I went back up two weeks later, uh, back to the kind of the same area I was at and basically the, obviously the herd's migrating. So it's moving closer to the Canadian border. So a lot of people follow that herd, uh, the 40 mile herd. And I don't like to deal with people. I like to be kind of secluded if I can, you know, it just makes the experience that much more. So I kind of went back to where I was at originally two weeks prior, um, up on this Ridge. And I stopped there to take, to eat lunch about midday. And I looked glassed up in this bowl and I saw one lone, um, cow caribou come across, and I'm like, and with my tag, I had to shoot a bull um, with me being my, you know, residence and this residency and military. Like I had to shoot a bull, which I was, yeah, that's obviously why I'm here. And I want to take something mature if I can, uh, if the good Lord lets me. So I went up, I hiked in, I think as a crow flies, it was three, maybe four miles. Uh, wasn't too awfully crazy, but, you know, hiking in tundra straight up, it's not fun. It's just, it's, it's like a Hard living to explain, thing, man. Yeah, it's it's very hard to explain. And I consider myself in relatively good shape and um having the right gear take you a long ways and just not forcing it, kind of just walk in you now, not locking your legs out. It's just letting the letting the ground take you where it wants. It's very uh very difficult to say the least. And got up there um where I wanted to camp and had a nice little spot and I uh immediately got the glass out and just kind of it was right in that evening time frame, and I'd found a few herds like coming through this bowl. Um, so I was really excited about that. I'm like, man, I got 
got this whole place to myself seemingly like there's no one around um didn't get any bulls that night uh, or didn't have anything come close and the next that night had a really bad storm roll in come up the valley and i'm like at the very top head of the valley and there's two peaks on both sides so that storm cell that basically pushed up the mountain is just sitting there um <laughs> and uh i've never never feel never really experienced i've been in some thunderstorms and lightning storms and in, in the tents and outdoors and i've never had that experience to where like i was very uneasy uh that night i did um just with high winds lightning yeah or... just just yeah the lightning and the winds and i just didn't and there was a rock shelf about 200 yards down the ridge. And uh, I went against everything. I'm like, I'm going, I'm getting underneath that ridge. I'm not going to sit here on top of this uh, like little plateau I was sitting at. So I had a break in the storm. I grabbed my rain gear and I jetted down the mountain. And I <laughs> threw everything on. I had my inReach and I laid underneath this rock shelf for probably 45 minutes while, I, while me and the good Lord had a talk. You know, I was like, hey, you know, I know I've, I haven't done everything perfect in this life and i promise if you make me if you let me get through this tonight you know i'll i'll, I'll do better in life uh <laughs> and somehow you know i get we we got through it and the next next morning i we were pretty sock i was well i was pretty socked in couldn't see much from camp decided to make some coffee so I'm fired everything up and i'm literally right in the you know i opened the tent up and i'm glassing the same ridge line that these bulls and stuff were moving through the night before and right away don't i don't even have my boots on nothing we're, we're talking like 800 to 1000 yards line of sight um boom i see a big big white mane just big tops everything you could imagine for me you know um just like oh my god he's by himself he's walking this way so i try to get a reference point where he's at and uh, he's going to come around the, the idea was he's going to come around to this bowl where i was at and i was going to make a play or try to so two and a half minutes goes by. I'm throwing stuff together, grabbing the rifle, making sure all my stuff's in a group. And I go probably a hundred yards from the tent. There was a kind of a limestone uh, uh, rock formation that I could get up on and really glass. And I went to try to find him and I couldn't find him. Uh, and the fog was still two, probably on right at that tree line level, two thirds of the way up the mountains. And I just couldn't see, if, you know, if he went up in, the, in those clouds and I was like, oh my God, and I've lost him. And, I knew it. I should have kept my eyes on him and, and really watched him. Uh, and, I, and I lost him. So that was pretty bummy. Uh, just a, it looked like a giant bull to me. And uh, <laughs> boots are kind of untied. And I just like, well, I'm going to go back and finish coffee, wait for the sun to kind of come up, break it out. This was probably seven in the morning at this point. And as I'm walking back to camp, I peripheral vision, something out of my eye. I could see something was moving and I turned to the left and all I could see was tops and shovels and bezes just mm. raking, raking these uh, alders up. And I threw the glass and I was like, oh, my God, what a bull. And he's like 400 yards. So I kind of shimmied up about another 100 yards to, just to really make, you know, the effort seemingly less, uh, especially with the setup I run. So I was like, you know, if I can get to 300, I, I don't have to hardly dial anything on the glass. I, I can hold and, and make a shot. And got up there uh got settled really quick and he turned broadside and i let him have it uh he was down 10 seconds i watched i mean it was pretty chilly that morning and i mean i could see the steam coming off uh, both shoulders when he when he tipped over it was amazing mm -hmm. it happened so fast and i couldn't believe what happened 
still, you know, like even to this day talking about it, I get goosebumps and yeah, you know, I, I just, I had nobody to talk to, you know, usually Nick's there or, <laughs> yeah. or, or I can FaceTime him or something. Cause usually that's what happens. Usually if I get a FaceTime from Nick or via ver- vice versa, something has hit the ground and, and we want to share that moment with people we, you know, owe that success to. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he was like the first in reach message, you know, I just typed big bull down and I, I didn't even know what it was. And then got back to camp real quick, grabbed, make sure I grabbed, you know, everything I needed tags and things like that. And hustled up the hill. Cause I knew he was, he was for sure done. And when I came around these set of alders and he was laying there and I was just, um, I mean, you know, it was just, you saw the pictures. I mean, he's a, he's a great bull. I don't think I'll ever kill anything that big again. And it just, it took a second, you know, get, you get kind of emotional. I've been emotional on all my, uh, everything I've ever taken, you know, it's, it's, you know, everything comes together. You've been the lowest of lows and now you're at the highest of highs and it's just a lot to take in, you know? That's awesome. It's crazy how, how quick that happens. And then you have the, the first encounter and follow that up. And there's just a lot going on there in a quick time. Yeah, it, it was a lot. And then, you know, I just sat there for a second and I just, you know, thanked everybody that I could. And cause it, it, no one gets in this, you know, life anywhere by themselves, essentially. And I don't, I, I can't take credit for any of this. You know, I've definitely learned from others, you know, people I've never even met, you know, online have given me advice, help tips. And I've tried to re, you know, to re- give that back to as many people as I can. And, you know, sometimes I like, Hey, I can't speak on that. You know, I don't have that experience. So I do owe, you know, a lot to, to Nick and as far as getting me in the West and getting me success, being successful with him. And I think it definitely, it's a good partnership. It's a good friendship. And then, he won't say that. That's because he's a little he's a little tougher, I think, than I am. But I don't care. So it it, it it's worked, that's for sure. And you know, I was able to to have a, a beautiful bowl and just tons of meat to share. So yeah, that's cool, man. Hit on a few things from that, like came up in the story and just kind of questions I honestly had about Alaska. But you hit on it already with the storm, and I'm not sure where you were from a mindset and gear perspective before Alaska, but I'm just curious from now, not only trips like that, but having spent the winter up there and all that, like how do you just look at gear, clothing and any of those related things differently now after spending time in Alaska? So that's great. That's a good question. Um, so, you know, before when I first got to the West, I bought everything to you just because that was, that seemed like that was a hot hand. Right. And then, some, some of it fit, some of it didn't fit. And I think, you know, I went to some Sitka stuff and then I run a lot of first light now um, that I run some other random pieces of gear. But my biggest thing looking at it was, you know, find the gear that fits you financially, physically and strategically, right? Like, are you going to be a tree stand guy or girl? Are you a spot in stock? How much is your budget? Because every piece of gear I have fits me differently. I'm an odd shaped body. Like, you know, my waist and my thighs are as big as my waist. So it's, it's, I can't find you know, pants have to stretch for me. Like I can't, I can't do it, you know? And, and so I have, I mean, I run out to research stuff now. I run some, you know, mainly I'm really excited for the new first light pants coming out with, and I think hip vent is essential across the board to dump heat. Like that's just, that's, it should be in every backpack, you know, hunters uh, repertoire. Like that's a mm-hmm. huge huge thing. But I remember, you know, early on with Nick, you know, we went out to Montana. Uh, he had a tag out there on the, like, or look, along the Missouri. 
And I was super new to this. So I brought everything in the kitchen sink as far as just you name it. I was bringing it. I saw it on TV. I was buying it, bringing it. (laughs) And, and, you know, I heard stories about him when he was in Alaska, you know, coming off the Brooks range. And he was, you know, he told me, I'll never forget it. He's like, yeah, we were coming out pretty heavy. And uh, they were dumping um, packets of oatmeal out to save weight. And I thought that was crazy. I'm like, dude, that, (laughs) that weighs, that weighs nothing. Like, you know, I don't get it at all. And now having carried a few heavy packs, having been pretty far from the truck, having been, you know, in these places, I get it a thousand percent. So it's like, do I need to carry two of these? Nope. Do I need to carry, you know, this? Nope. Uh, It's, it's out of here. But I think what I've learned the most um, is, is find the right gear that fits you, you know, financially, physically, and strategically, um, whether it be, you know, I run a, a lot of outdoor research stuff just because it fits really well. I, I run a lot of solids. It doesn't um, really good rain gear. That's, you know, I run the seek stuff. Um, the first light. Uh, I love. Yep. I run the first yeah. light seek top. And, Especially top for and like Alaska. Stuff. I mean, it's, it's not like the yeah. lightest backpack friendly thing. If guys aren't truly in, in tough conditions, but no, Nope. Yeah, I mean the couple trips I've had to Alaska, that stuff's been great. Yeah, I mean I I ran it all through to move season and it, and I lived in it, you know, every day and uh you know a lot of guys even even I I run the 200 grain uh arrow or the 200 gram arrow wools. I would just run that and pack my pants and just run face layers and uh the the rain pants and I would just vent accordingly or and I had a pair mm-hmm. of puppies that I could just throw on if I needed to, but yeah, that's what I ran and that that good rain gear, you know, good I think synthetic insulation. I like that just because it dries faster. You know, I can get in it wet and I don't have to worry about that clotting of, of down, which I know they do a lot of, you know, a lot of companies do treat it down now, but yep, definitely obviously a good pack. That's, uh, that's going to carry you, you know, make the, the trip good boots. Um, and then, you know, let your, let your optics do the walking. That's what I've definitely learned. Yeah. Another thing you hit on, I it just, I find it fascinating and I'm no Alaska expert, just have limited experience from a couple of trips, but have talked with more and more guys and understand guys in the lower 48, like myself, who has like, who have misconceptions about Alaska, Um, you know, and you hit on this, but it's interesting to me in Alaska, correcting the misconceptions that on one hand, not everything is completely remote wilderness, right? Like you said, there's guys running four wheelers you're dealing with crowds and obviously that's only in certain areas. However, on the other hand, to get away from that, even as a resident, like it still can be very logistically difficult, right? So whether or not you're a guy coming down from the lower 48, like if you're wanting to get into remote country as a resident in Alaska, it's still a logistical challenge, right? You're still looking at potentially flights or, you know, rafting trips or things like that. Right. So it's like this whole idea of, Oh, I live in Alaska and I can go on this crazy wilderness hunt, quote unquote, this weekend that doesn't really exist. Like if it's accessible for a couple day hunt, then other people are doing it. And if you want to get away from other people and do like a truly remote hunt, then you still have time and logistics involved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've heard stories, you know, like people have flown in, you know, taking cubs in and landing, you know, and wherever, you know, taking air taxis in and they're, you know, on their own remote range, they think, and they make a, you know, make a four or five hour trip and they come over the next range and boom, there's a base camp set up at the bottom down there. So just when you think you are as remote as possible, someone else, you know, is also thinking the same thing. And, and you definitely can get away from the crowds up here. Um, but there it's, it's just like, 
you know, a lot of other lower 48s, you know, you, you can work to get away from them, but it's still Alaska and it's not, you know, you can, you can definitely separate yourself too if the, if the efforts there, but still, still can have people around if, if you're not careful. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier extending your stay. Uh, so getting into a little bit of that story and your plans for the fall. Yeah. So I, I extended some time so I can uh, hit my one year residency here. So I wouldn't need a guide um, for, you know, certain species in Alaska, more or less doll, doll sheep. Um, and then I'm going to change my residency to Alaska because as long as I'm active military, um, I can, I, I can claim Alaska as my residency. Um, so yeah, I extended it long enough so I can hit that one year mark and then go on my, you know, I can't afford a, a guide. Uh, it's just not financially. I can't, you know, it's, I, I understand why the guide is there and by no means, you know, I consider myself anywhere near that kind of caliber, but you know, I have some good friends and, you know, I think Nick's going to try to come up where we're trying to get him up here since he's a few of these hunts. Um, you know, I would definitely have like to have him in my corner just, just, a, just for the adventure alone. Um, I don't have to kill a 40 inch Ram. All I have to, I, if I have the, that, that general season tag in my pocket, I would consider that a win. Um, so yeah, the, the military let me extend enough, um, to, to, to hit that date, um, that one year and some change. So we're going to look at, you know, either, you know, doing some, some summer trips and some of the ranges where I'm at and either going up North if need be just spending as much time in the areas that I'm close to right here in the central Alaskan range. Uh, and really trying to, trying to find just some banded rams and just, just be out there. You know, you definitely can't, you can't have the adventure or take the trophy or, or fill the freezer when you're at home, you know, thinking about your once in a lifetime trip. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's just, it's coming quick, you know, bear baiting season is, is next month and uh, it's still, you know, dropping snow like crazy. So the bears definitely are not going to be out for a while. And that's what I think. Um, so it's, it's coming fast, but you know, I'm, I'm ready for that August 8th, August 9th, you know, we're hopefully a few miles in and, you know, we're on a band of Rams or just, I don't care just with good friends and, you know, everybody's happy and healthy and then we'll go from there. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my big, big plan for 2021, just to have that tag in my pocket and everything else from there is just, is icing on the cake. Yeah, oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. With that year assignment and then falling through July, that that's could have been so close, but so far away from having some cool opportunities. So I'm glad it got extended and you're able to get the yeah. residency and make that happen. Yeah. Cause like if, you know, if I'd have got up here on say August 11th, right. That wouldn't, it wouldn't have been, you know, I can't, I couldn't have done that or, or even like, or June, you know, like I couldn't extend it that long or September, you know, it's, uh, it all lined up perfectly and I'm extremely grateful for it. You know, I've, I've had some good help along the way. So it's, it's helped me out and, um, you know, I'm gonna do everything we can this spring and summer training and, and, you know, bag dumps and stuff like that and see what happens come, come August. And then, yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be an adventure and I, I'm really excited for it. Yeah. That's cool, man. It's been fun to chat. Um, just to wrap things up, like, what would you say to uh, just people who might be hearing, oh, this guy, he gets to go to Alaska and have that, right? Like, what if there's the guy back home in South Carolina who has a passion for the hunting or the outdoors who's listening, right? Or the guy in the Dakotas where you were, um, just the regular guy. Like, what's your just general, I know this is super open-ended, but like, thoughts, mindset, advice to those guys, because a lot of times we just, we see people or hear of people get to doing cool stuff. Like you're 
have been doing or about to do and be in Alaska and go hunt sheep. But I know that at your core, at your roots, you're just like a guy listening just like the rest of us. And I'm just curious what you would say if it was your buddy, right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's tough, but I feel like, you know, and plenty of people have said it, you know, it's, you know, if you have the passion or you have the dream, don't wait, you know, make plans, you know, go in with buddies if you have to, like, you know, I've had buddies, you know, that came up here last year with their family and their wives, uh, you know, do the, the caribou hunt up North and Prudhoe Bay, you know, on, and that was, it's nothing crazy financially, but if you have the dream and you have the passion and you know, you want to do it, then find a way to do it, you know, start, start in the easiest way, taking care of yourself as far as physically getting ready, because I promise you the mountain doesn't care. Like it will, it'll kill you just like anything else in this life. So figure out what you want to do. And, and, and if you want to go chase Rams in the, in the mountains, or if you don't want to go chase muleys in the Dakotas, um, you know, ask those questions. I know it's, it's hard for especially certain types of people like myself to ask for help and like, Hey, I, I don't know how to do this, but you know, swallow your pride, um, you know, get your questions accordingly and then ask people who you believe in and, and trust in that will give you the, the answers you need to be successful. Right. And then just putting time in, you know, like nothing good in this life comes easy. Right. So I would just say, you know, find, find out what you want to do, go for it and don't stop until it's accomplished, whether it be, you know, something as simple as whatever you, you know, turkeys in the South in Carolinas, you know, and I wouldn't say that simple or shooting, you know, goats on Kodiak. Um, everything's, everything's cherished. Uh, just find what you want and go get it cool perfect way to cap it man appreciate your time um folks want to get in contact with you follow along for future adventures see your sheep come august that type of thing what's the best way to do that um yeah i'm pretty active on instagram Uh, i just so my instagram handle is mustache underscore memoirs and yes the mustache is real and a lot of get a lot of questions about if it's real it's very much real (laughs) (laughs) won a few mustache march competitions and i haven't even uh, joined so yeah <laughs> no it's that's my handle um if, any, if there are any questions or whatever just shoot me a message i'd be my best to answer um i'm a you know jack of all trades master of none so well that's a wrap on this one guys i hope you enjoyed that david is certainly something that i appreciated uh, learning from and speaking with Again, don't forget the May giveaway here in 2021 and all the ways to do that. You can check out the show description for more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we will talk to you soon.